like I said, a message today that God has really laid on my heart uh, that I need to share with everybody. So we're going to jump right into it. Everybody good? Everybody ready? No bathroom breaks? Anybody? Get your, your ink pen ready. You're probably going to run out of ink, and that's okay. Uh, <clears throat> so, again, this message was laid on my heart by God as I was preparing everything uh, for, for our, our future and uh, where we're going to go in a later time as a church, preparing a, 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 an additional ministry uh, that will be geared for people who have maybe overcome different types of addiction, different types of emotional uh, dependency, things of that nature. So as we, as I was spending time with God and I was really searching into, into the future with that and doing some soul searching, uh, I, I had this moment with God where when I was a kid, uh, I had a grandfather who meant the world to me. And some of my fondest memories, some of my greatest memories uh, were, were these wisdom talks. Uh, so on the left side of your page, if you fold it in half, uh, there's going to be Proverbs. So we're going to look at this Proverbs 4 in a second. This is Solomon uh, basically rehashing a memory of, of one of these same kind of talks with his father. His father was David. Uh, so these talks I would remember with my grandpa. We would be at Mr. Gilbert's pond, uh, down at the bottom pond, and there was a, a dock. And I just remember as a kid... Uh, that on the side of this dock was a big, was a big cage that the, the, the fish would actually grow larger in until they were ready. Mr. Gilworth would open that up and then they would go and swim in the pond. Well, as a kid, I was all about instant gratification. The church today as we know it is all about instant gratification. They want to see boom. They just want results. They want no hard work. Uh, so as a kid, I was the same way. And I would actually cast out I cast out while he was watching, so he thought I was out there, and I would slowly reel in and let it drop down into that cage. In that cage, it's just full of fish. It wouldn't take more than 10 or 15 seconds. My grandpa was a wise man. I'm going to put that out there for y'all. My grandpa knew what I was doing. My grandpa was letting me learn. Uh, so I really real quick, well, I didn't think he was looking, and I would let it rest down in there, and it wouldn't take more than 10 or 15 seconds. For a fish to hit. You really back? And there were brim, there were catfish in there. Uh, and I just remember as a kid, I, I, I just, I wanted instant gratification. And it just reminded me, and this is kind of what took me uh, to this memory, but I just remembered as a kid searching that instant gratification. And I remember sitting on this same dock with my grandpa. And we would eat crackers uh, and drink Pepsi. And we would just sit there. And my, my grandma would be over on the bank, my grandma, if you know my grandma, she's someone that has to like constantly be moving. My grandma can't sit still. Uh, you think maybe that, that might transfer a little bit, but you know, that's neither here nor there. And my grandma would be over on the bank. And my grandma's like, she's, she's after it. You know what I'm saying? So this would be my time with my grandpa. And I, I just finally remembered this memory. And as I was uh, kind of just reminiscing on this memory and thinking about what the church uh, the church is really like a child today. And so again, we were I was preparing everything to get ready for, for this addiction, for this recovery ministry that we have planned for the future. And I had a, a memory, another one of these same memories with my grandpa that came to my mind. And I remember being 
Uh, 21, in the midst of addiction, just clutched. I, I'm not even 20. And I was lost in, in alcohol and drugs uh, and just being promiscuous and just not living for the Lord. And I remember a certain night where, like, even in the midst of addiction, when my grandpa told me to some, do something, like, I was doing it. Okay? So uh, I remember one of the nights, this is, I think, after, like, like his third or fourth stroke. You would think that they couldn't take this fight. God had prepared something special in this man that that my grandpa wasn't going until it was on his terms and he was ready. So this was after his third or fourth stroke. And he's in the hospital. And again, I'm, I'm 20, 21 years old in the midst of addiction. And nobody else could spend the night with my, with my grandpa. My grandma had already spent like three or four nights. She's wore out. And she just needs to rest. So my grandpa is kind of like, I'm there visiting during the day. Uh, I was working not too far away. I was, I was a kid. I was working for the Census Bureau, guys. And uh, I'm right down the road, and I, would go, I went and visited at lunch. And my grandpa's looking at me, and he's like, you need to stay tonight. And I'm like, man, I've got big plans. Big plans for me at this point in time is just getting really drunk and not remembering uh, what happens at night. So I'm like, no, Bob, i got, I got big plans tonight. He's like, you don't have plans. Your plans are here with me. So I'm like, yes, sir. That's, that's my plans. That was the plans I was talking about that I had. It was you. And uh, so I finished out my day at work. I get there. I go home. I take like a shower, get some clothes, and I come back to the hospital that night. And on the way to the hospital, I remember very, very specifically, I'm like, man, I've got to make it through a night at the hospital. Uh, my grandpa is going to tell me a lot of stories. He's going to try to get me up really late at night. So I stopped. On the way to the hospital, from my house to the hospital, and I stopped, and I remember uh, buying a bottle of liquor, and I stopped by my drug dealer's house on the way to the hospital to go with my grandpa. And, man, I, I remember being on the way there, and when you're in the middle of, of addiction, you don't see the things that everybody else sees, right? You just see your addiction. You just see the dependency that you're living in. The church today, the people who consider themselves to be the church, are living in their addictions. And their addictions are to anything but God. Their addictions are to anything but focusing their attention solely on our Creator because they're worried about this world. They're worried about this life that they're living in, and they're not worried about a future eternity that is forever. This right here, if you're lucky, is 75 years. You did it good. Eternity is eternity. That's forever. Uh, today we're going to look at eternity. But I remember this night very, very, very particularly uh, as I'm, I'm in addiction and I get to the hospital and I'm, I remember this. Like I, I took a couple swigs of, of alcohol, I snorted a line of coke, and I smoked a joint. I'm like, okay, I'm good to go into the hospital now. And this is where my life is, guys. That even in the midst of, of trying to do right, I'm just worried about myself. So I go in and I go in the hospital, and I mean, I'm like, I'm kind of, and I'm just, I'm ready for, I still got some family kind of lingering up there visiting. And I'm like, man, I'm ready for them to leave. I'm just ready for them to go, and then we'll be good. So my grandpa, like, the older I got, the, the when I got out of addiction, when I got out of this lifestyle, my grandpa tells me like. He would know because my grandpa suffered and struggled from a lot of these same chains that bound me. My grandpa knew 
My grandpa loved me so much that he wouldn't tell me that he knew at the time, but my grandpa knew. So that night, uh, everybody leaves. They, it, it gets to maybe 10 or 11 o'clock at night. The nurses have done their rounds. My grandpa, if you knew my grandpa, he didn't sleep at night. Uh, he had neuropathy and, uh, and just different things, and his body was plagued and riddled. And at night, that was the time that he couldn't sleep. But when he was at the hospital, that was kind of the one time when it would seem that he could sleep. But my grandpa, even when he was rested, was not actually sleeping. My, my grandpa had been sick my entire life, right? And I remember, I thought he was asleep. Like, I thought I knew things. And I'm, like, looking at vital signs. This is where the vitals, I'm looking at these vital signs, and God just put all this on my heart, guys. And I'm looking at the vital signs, and I'm like, eh, those numbers. I'm, I'm struggling with addiction. I'm, I'm riddled with addiction. And I'm looking at numbers. I don't know what I'm looking at, but I'm like, eh, he looks like he's asleep. He's probably asleep. So I sneak out. This is before COVID, obviously. Uh, you could actually visit people at the hospital at this time. And it was this crazy thing. You could stay with people at the hospital. Okay, past like 6 o'clock. I know. Thanks, COVID. And uh, I sneak it out. I'm sneaking, and I see security. And, and this is at the Anderson Hospital on the backside. Because remember, that's where you used to park. Now we're doing obstruction. You can't even park on the backside, right? So I'm sneaking, and security's like doing their little security thing. And the thing about it was they locked those doors down there. The revolving door locked and the bottom door locked. Once you left, if you walked out of that door, there was no coming back in that door, either of those doors. <clears throat> so I took out of my pocket, like, y'all, I, I thought I was clever. I thought I knew things. I took my little Ingalls card out of my pocket, and I put it in the door, right? And if you put it on the latch, you kept the latch from the locking. And so I'm like, okay, I can get back in. And I go to my car, and I do my same little thing. You know, I do my little routine. And so I get high, I get drunk. Uh, get stoned because I had to do these things just to be able to sleep, guys. Because that's what that's what that's what out that's what that's what addiction is. Is you grow a dependency, right? My dependency was on anything but God. I see the same thing with the church today, and so I go back, you know, 007, and by 007 I mean a coked out stoner who's drunk, right? So I'm probably not very quiet in my mind. I'm stealthy. And I take an elevator, which is not stealthy. You know, it makes a lot of noise. I don't know if you know about elevators. They creak a lot. They make dinging and chiming noises. And I'm like, and I get there, and the door opens up. Anybody know anything about the Anderson Hospital? What happens when the doors open to elevators? What's right there facing you? The nurses' stations, right? So I like pop up out of the elevator, and there's a nurses' station with nurses who are just kind of staring at me like. Okay? And I sneak. Like, you know what I'm saying? They see me, guys. And I'm sneaking by them like, oh, man, I'm so stealthy. But they don't even see me right now. So I get back to the room, and I feel like I've accomplished something. I'm like, man, I have effectively snuck in and out of the hospital. My grandpa's asleep. I've got my little, little five-minute high, right? I've got my little ten-minute high, so I'm good now. I can go and lay down, and I can sleep, and I can sleep. And I can actually, I can rest. Because instead of facing things, I was putting band-aids on. Instead of facing life, I was putting on a, a facade. Instead of seeing wisdom, right? 
Instead of those things, no, 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 no. I was, I was living a life that was sin. So I sneak back in. My grandpa's back is still turned. I'm like, yep, I made it back in here. He called him, it, this, I'm not being funny, he called himself the old fart. So I'm like, man, I would have made it back in here. Old fart's still sleeping. I'm good. And my grandpa rolls over, looks me right in my eyes. We never talked about this. It, it, it was the fight. It was, I know it was God working through my grandpa. I always say to my grandpa, before I grew up Baptist, and I didn't know what like prophesying was, you know what I'm saying, to put a prophecy on someone's life. I didn't know what any of that meant. So my grandpa, when I was a kid, would tell me two things, son. You got a, you got a motor mouth. You're going to be one of two things. You're going to be a preacher or a politician. And look, here we are. I'm just saying, maybe he knew some things. And he rolls over in his hospital bed, looks at me, says, there's more to life, and just rolls right back over. There's no condemnation. There's no judgment. There's simply my grandfather instilling in me wisdom. There's simply my grandfather instilling in me knowledge. So just thinking of that memory uh, kind of took me to here we are in Proverbs 4. Uh, and we're going to cover some verses. Uh, there is on your little notes... There's a, there's a note that says meditate on verses 5, 13, 20 through 22, and 23. Before I've given you guys homework, right, I, I ask you guys one time, on one time only, uh, to go and read John chapter 15, right? The next week we come back in here and I say, who did the homework? And you guys don't even recall the homework, right? Like you guys were like, no, I didn't do that. And... There's been a lot of times in my life, like, as a leader, that I don't hold my people accountable. Because I feel like holding people accountable makes me look like I'm mean. Or makes me look like I'm, you know, I'm just this or I'm that. And maybe they won't like me. Look at me. Look at my eyes real quick, guys. I don't care if you like me. My job as your pastor is not to be liked. My job as your pastor is to make sure that you are equipped for eternity. If you don't like me, that's great. Listen to me and fear me. I was really worried, and I told Jessica, oh man, they're just going to think that I'm mean. This is one of those messages. And if you're going to mean, that's great. Get over it. Right? Put a band-aid on, be a big boy, and go about life. As I, I, I thought about that verse of Scripture, I'm like, man, I really needed them to apply John 15 to their lives. Has anybody since that time, I'm not, I'm not being mean here, oh, mean Caleb, has anybody since that time actually went and read John 15? You absolutely have not. Wow, how is it that I knew I would come in here and you guys still wouldn't have read the one thing? One time I've ever asked you guys to do something beyond this, you didn't do it. That's fine. We're going to look at it here in a minute. Because it's really important now for you guys to know. John 15, hold your place in Proverbs 4 for one second. John 15 refers to Jesus, our Jesus who died for us, who atoned for our sins on the cross. John 15 says, I am the true vine. And my father is the keeper of the vineyard. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Anybody know anything about gardening? 
It, it, it kind of seems really weird and, and, and redundant and crazy that when you prune, you're cutting something back. You're like, man, that seems like it's going to kill it. But see, what happens when you prune off is from that place where you pruned, it can grow more abundant. Right? As a gardener, you, you cut off anything that is harming, anything that is hindering the vine. Right? And we are the branches of Jesus Christ who is the true vine. So he, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes. So it looks and it appears the same way that he cuts it off, right? But every branch that, he, that does bear fruit he prunes to make it even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. You're not clean on your own, on your own understanding. You're not clean uh, on, on your own works. You're not clean on your own deeds. You're not, you're not clean on your own promises, on your ability to do anything. You're clean on Jesus Christ, who is the true vine. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. See, at this point in time in my life, I accepted Christ in my life when I was 15 years old. But at this point in time in my life, am I remaining in him? It's absolutely not, right? It's a big thumbs down on that. I'm actually doing like the furthest that I can from it. You know what grace is? You know what mercy is? That at any point in time during this time, if I pass away, do you know where I still go? Heaven. Am I deserving of this at this point in time in my life or anything that I'm doing? Absolutely not. I deserve the gardener to chop me off. But instead, everything that I'm doing, God is pruning to make me more fruitful. Everything that I'm, I'm going through, Jesus is using in my life to equip me so that it, at, at his call, at his appointed time, I'm fruitful to go and do the things that it is he has appointed me to do. So just as no branch can bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine. If you chop it off, guess what happens? It dies. But the branch itself, where you've now pruned it, everything can grow more abundantly because it has trimmed the fat. Anybody ever heard that expression, to trim the fat? It's cut back that which is not offering any sort of assistance, any sort of help. So you are the true branches. I am the vine. The one who remains in me and I in him will, will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are gathered up, thrown into a fire, and burned. Because the only sort of, 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 of resemblance of, of anything uh, useful that they can do is offer heat, right? But we have to get rid of them because they're just taking up space. So they're thrown into what God calls the fiery furnace. Uh, we look at this and we think that he's talking about just, just talking about trees. What he's talking about is those that are cut back, that, that are offering, that are growing no fruit, they are tossed into hell. The fire that he's talking about here is hell. I'm trying to prepare people to be fruitful, to go into the, the community around us and help us to grow the true vine. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit. God receives honor. God receives glory from you doing what it is that he called you to do. 
Suck it up, buttercup, and do what he called you to do. Well, I don't have time. He had time to send his son to die on a cross for you. But you don't have time to go and pass out bags. You don't have time to go and just do something for somebody else. I'm just saying, guys. This is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, proving yourselves to be my disciples. So, I just needed you guys to have a quick refresher on that homework that now all of you have done for me. Right? Even if I had to give you assistance, I'm going to make sure that you're equipped. We put it on your own understanding that you will, will be equipped because you have a, a certain commitment and that you are called by God so you go and do the things that he, he calls you to do. But I understand as your pastor, you're not always going to do that. And that's fine. We're going to help equip you. Right? So when I look at Proverbs 4, remember this is Solomon. Anybody know what Solomon was known for? Wisdom. This man is literally known for his wisdom. His father was a pretty wise man, right? Anybody ever read the Psalms? A lot of those are David, right? David was a pretty wise man. He was also kind of like a very up and down man. Like, you can go into the same psalm and you'd be happy at the beginning, sad in the middle, and happy again. And it's like, man, maybe you're a little bipolar, but it's okay, David. You did great things for the Lord. But your son was equipped with wisdom. This whole book of Proverbs. Anybody know how many chapters there are in Proverbs? Magically, there's 31, there's 31 chapters in Proverbs. Our longest month. Anybody know how many days are in Proverbs? Or in a month? 31. Oh my goodness, it's almost like God gave us a proverb of death. If every day, oh man, I can't commit to reading scripture. It, it'll take you, I'm not going to lie, about, uh, I, I went and did this a couple times for myself and read at different paces. It takes anywhere between 35, all these different proverbs, between 35 seconds and a minute and 20 seconds. Man, I don't have time. You don't have a minute and 20 seconds out of your day to commit to Christ. I get goosebumps just thinking about that. But you're going to wonder why when judgment day comes, I don't, I don't think I deserve hell. You do. You couldn't give a minute and 20 seconds of your entirety to Christ. But you want him to stand on eternity and give you forever, right? Proverbs 4, 5 says this. Get wisdom. Get insight. Those are one and the same, right? Do not forget... And do not turn away from the words of my mouth. This right here, these, this is a, a reminiscence that, that, that Solomon has of his father who was David talking to him. This is his moment, just like I had with the old fart, right? This is one of those moments that David uh, had and shared with Solomon, and he's recalling. Solomon is recalling that memory. <laughs> just look at, look at verse 3. When I was a son with my father... Tender he was, the only one in sight of my mother. So this is just Solomon recalling and saying, hey, this is a talk I remember having with my dad, David. He taught me and he said to me, it's very important to hold this right here in verse 4. Let your heart hold fast my words. So he's saying, don't just commit these words to, to your memory. Commit this to your heart, right? Commit this to everything that is inside of you, pursuing and seeking God, to pursuing and seeking wisdom. Can I give you guys a misconception that, that I've heard my entire life 
And the older I've gotten, the more I've actually searched for Christ, the more I've realized how foolish this statement is. Anybody ever heard this? They say, wisdom comes with age. Right? Wisdom, it comes with time. Everybody look at me again for a second. You can be old and foolish. You can be old and ignorant. Can I tell y'all something? People that have came through here, and I love them, and I would love for them to come back so they can see Christ together. We have seen old people come through here who are very foolish. We have seen old people come through here who are very ignorant. On the flip side of that, wisdom, this is a true statement. I promise you, go and read, go read your problem today. Wisdom comes with the pursuit of Christ and with experience. Wisdom didn't just come magically overnight, right? You didn't just keep sleeping and become wise. No, you had, to, you had to live and you had to do something dumb, right? I have learned more, in all honesty, I've learned more from every any individual failure of my life. I've learned more from any one of those than all the successes combined. Right? So wisdom comes with a pursuit and an experience, and a, a hunger, and a thirst for Christ. <clears throat> Proverbs 13. Keep hold of instruction, and do not let go. Guard her. Anybody ever heard of a woman's intuition, right? Oh, a woman, you know, the intuition of a woman. Do you know what the intuition of a woman, didn't know this until I went and actually searched. Do you know why they refer to a woman's intuition? It's biblical. Because wisdom, because insight are referred to in the feminine here, right? Look, look, at, look at how Solomon, what, what was Solomon? Wise, holy cow. Uh, some people will say that, that aside from Paul, who comes later in Scripture, uh, that those two probably could have went neck and neck, right? Because Solomon was gifted with wisdom. Because his pursuit of God, his pursuit of, of, of knowing God... God blessed him, and God used the Holy Spirit and instilled in him wisdom. Anybody know how Paul got his wisdom? Anybody know how Paul got his knowledge? Experience. So Solomon got it from a simple pursuit. He wanted to know God. Paul got it because he was committed to being wise. And at first, Paul was using that same wisdom. Paul was using that, that God-given ability to go and persecute God. Right? He was doing anything he could. He was the, at, at, at the beginning of his life, he was the modern church. The modern church will do anything they can to persecute Christ. They would rather find a reason to argue with one another than to simply seek God. Jessica and I, everything that came to be with City Growth Church, uh, it was waiting on God's timing. And it wasn't just a magical overnight. We just, we just didn't do anything with church. And just, uh, one day God's going to tell us that it's time. And magically it's going to be time. No, we were seeking experience. We were seeking a, a, we had a desire to know God. So that when it was time, we weren't just relying on, huh, maybe it'll work. No, we had done things. We've done things the right way. We've done things the wrong way. We had sought out God. When Jessica that night says, Caleb, it's time. It was magic, uh, almost magical how everything just started to fall into place. Everything just, you know, we reach out to Jimmy and Haley and they're like, we're on board. Let's do this. 
we, we, we start looking for a building, magically this thing comes available, right? We, we, it's just, it was just God and how everything started coming together. We're like, man, our whole basis is on serving the community. People just start coming aboard, and you know what their whole heart was? Serving the community. You can count that as just luck, right? You can count that as what you like, but I know that was God. So, I have to choose my words wise right here. I'm going to be darned if I stand here and let people attack it. I'm going to be darned if I stand here and sit back and let people be lukewarm. Go and read uh, Revelation chapter 3 and look where where lukewarmness uh, led, led the church. Eh, eh. God says it's better to just be cast. It's better to be cast aside than be lukewarm. Revelation three sixteen. If you don't believe me, go and look at that. I'm going to be darned if I sit back and don't do everything within my power because God laid this on our heart to start this. I'm going to be darned if I sit back and let people be lukewarm. And I show up when I show up. God called. You know what? I'm not even mad at you. Have I ever when? Like, if I ever looked at anybody and be like, man, I don't know why you didn't make a church. No. That's not, that's, not, that's not who we are. Life comes up. There are other things that come up. I completely understand that, right? This is me telling you guys, though, when I say, hey, it looks like you stopped pursuing the Lord. I'm going to get a little angry. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to have my wisdom talk with you, right? I'm going to have my old fart moment with you. I'm going to have my Solomon moment with you where I say, that's not enough. That's not cutting it. When I was studying all this, guys, when I was looking into all this, I really had this, this, this talk with God. There's, there's room above us, guys. Right? It's, it's for rent right now. I've never even seen the inside of it. But God told me when we started doing this here in this spot that eventually we're going to grow into all this. We can't do it if you're not faithful. Anybody ever heard the expression poop or get off the pot? God told me that we need to have this wisdom talk because something is coming that is bigger than any of us. Any of us individually. No, it requires all of us as a whole to come together. Because God is about to bless us. And this isn't prosperity, me naming it, claiming it. This is me telling you, I talked to God, and God told me something big is coming. Get on the boat, or get out of the way. And I hate to be frank like that. I, I hate to just, I hate to sound, oh, he's so mean. I don't care. I'm going to do what God told us to do. I said, man, I don't know, God, if I want to take... Maybe let's look at this after vinyls so that the, the church knows, this is the heart! This is who I called you to be, church! So I said, you know what? Yes, Father. If you told us that we need to look at this, we're going to look at this together. Keep hold of her instruction and do not let her go Guard her, for she is your life. He's not talking about a woman. He's talking about wisdom. 
He's talking about insight. He's talking about intuition. They talk about a woman's, a woman's intuition. Do you know why? Women live, most of the time, women live longer than men. Just putting that out there. Why? Because women do a lot less dumb stuff. Jimmy, how many dumb things do we do in our day, buddy? Like, there's a certain story of me in, in addiction, guys. There's a certain story that any of our little friend group, if you, if you just talk about it, all of us kind of snicker because I'm lucky to be alive. The fire incident. Look, guys, we have built this huge fire. Pretty big fire. Like, pointlessly large, let's be honest. It was probably me to, like, me to... Me and Savannah, we were like apart from each other. That's a big fire, right? And I'm like, hey, guess what, guys? I can jump over that. And they're like, look, hell, we're all very inebriated, we're very intoxicated right now, but this is common sense. Like, bro, that's like world record jump. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm about to be a world record holder because I can jump over this fire. Anybody ever? Oh, Anybody in this room ever been intoxicated? You ever tried to do the same normal athletic task that you can do when you're not intoxicated? Uh, there's a reason why they give them a sobriety test. And they can't walk a straight line. Right? Because your senses are, are very askew. So in reality, maybe in a sober state of mind, I could jump halfway across that fire. Where does that still land me, guys? In the middle of the fire. So when you're intoxicated, you probably make it from here to the end of the rug. What does that leave you with? A whole lot of fire to still run through. In a normal situation, when God doesn't have his hands on you, I'm not being funny, but when God doesn't have his hands on you, what happens when you run that far through the fire? You get burnt, right? Shoes get lit up, clothes get on fire, your hair comes singed. Anybody ever smell burning hair? Awful. Guys, not because I'm great, not because I'm anything good. Hey, Jimmy, how did I come out of that fire? We landed in the middle of it. And I came out pretty much unscathed. I don't say that now to look back and go, I defeated fire. No, I look back at that now and go, man, God really had his hands on me. But I had a wreck where, like, if you saw the car, you're like, dude, and you, you like, walked away. Yep, perfectly fine. Two of those, mind you. And why? Because God had his hands on me. Proverbs 4, we're going to look at 20 through 22 and then 23 real quick. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. But let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. One of the most important verses of the scripture right here, Proverbs 4.23. You, you talk about uh, looking back at, a, at a, a wisdom talk with your dad. You talk about looking back at a wisdom talk with a father figure in your life. Do you know what's wrong with America? you know what's wrong with the church? There's not enough fathers. I'll be honest with you. That, that's what's wrong with us. There's not enough dads and there's not enough butt-wolves. Sue me. Like, I'm sorry. 
Probably one of the wisest talks anybody could ever get from their dad right here. Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flows the springs of life. Where does life permeate from? Where does life radiate out of? Not your brain. Your heart. Anybody ever heard the head wants what it wants? But the heart, right? But the heart. Typically, when you're seeking out a relationship, it's crazy to think because you know physically from what it feels like. Your heart, your heart can't actually feel, right? Like your heart can't actually give you a suggestion. But when you're looking at love, where does that feeling of love come from? Beta endorphins in your brain? It comes from your heart. Right? When, when you were falling in love with your significant other, it started in your heart. I'm just, I'm just helping you bring back some memories right here. I'm thinking of me and Jessica. I'm thinking of, of spelling out I love you on her forehead. I'm thinking of dropping on my knee with an apple and telling her she's the apple of my eye. That feeling of love, that feeling of adoration starts in your heart and works down to these little butterflies in your belly. My brain was not involved. It was. But from an from a emotional standpoint, it, it, it was very centered up within you, right? Does your love for Christ flow in that same sense? Or is it all up here? Christ says that there's going to be those that say, when, he, when, we, when we all get to heaven, then they say, you know, I wanted you, I knew you, you know, I love you. And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Why? Because there was never that connection. It was all up here. I know a lot about baseball, right? I know a lot about baseball. I can say I love it with my heart. But is that what I go and do every day? No. Because I know it up here. Right? When I say, we talked about Anybody remember the word from Wednesday night? Hava. Love means so many different things. But when I say I love my wife and I say I love my kids, it all comes from here. And that's what I do. That's what I pursue. My wife and my kids. Sometimes I don't do a good enough job. I'm going to be honest with y'all. Sometimes I worry more about you guys than I do about my wife and my kids. And that's sad. But it's because I know my wife and my kids... They're, they're great. They're okay without me. This church, I'm not saying that I'm like, I'm so spectacular. It is, we're, we're still a plant. Any one thing leads us to the wayside. That's why I so heavily want and I so heavily need for you guys to seek out your own personal relationships with Christ. So that when we come back together as a body of believers, we all, Proverbs 4, uh, what, Proverbs 4.27, I believe, iron. Is that iron sharpens iron? Let's look at this real quick. Or 5.27. Where, where is this at? I don't know. Somewhere in the scripture, iron sharpens iron, right? Just as one person sharpens another. That's a proverb. Go and do your proverb today, you'll find it. Maybe you can't proverb today. Well, I gave you one, two, five. I gave you like six verses of proverbs. Go and try that. Start with those six, right? Meditate on those. Because ultimately, wisdom here, if you look at the NLT, was mentioned five times. 
If you look at the ESV or the, uh, the New King James, I think it was, insight and wisdom are mentioned six times. The phrase don't or do not was mentioned eight times in the NLT, uh, seven times in the ESV. There are very specific instructions. There's very specific commands for what to do with your heart here mentioned in Scripture, right? So now, here's where it all gets really crazy for you guys, and y'all are like, man. Uh, flip up your little paper, right? Flip up your little handout, and you're like, man, where does a proverb lead to three trees and, and, and some stuff? And this, this is all crazy. It's all crazy. And it's all about to come together. It's all about to, uh, it's all about to come together really quickly. Wisdom, again, it's mentioned five times in NLT, six times ESV. Uh, don't or do not command, eight times NLT, seven times ESV. The three trees. 20, Proverbs 27, 17. Look at that. Iron sharp iron. Look at my man in the back. Fact checking for me. That's what it's all about. Teamwork makes a dream work, baby. That's what the church is. It's us having each other's back. So the three trees. Flip, flip with me for one second. And I want you to hold on to this. Because I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm a pastor. And I, I honestly, until I was really searching into this and digging into this, I only knew about the one tree here in uh, Genesis 2. Look at Genesis chapter 2. We're going to look at 8 through 10 real quick. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Hey man, that's Adam. I know about him, right? Woo! Look, pastor up here telling me all facts. Adam. <laughs> garden, Adam. Look at me. Right, here's where I start getting like, oh man. Maybe, maybe I didn't have the simple observation skills. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight of and good for food. The tree of life. Holy cow, wait a minute. There's more than one tree here. Also fruit. Nothing but apple. We were talking about this on Wednesday night, right? Don't them prunes. I like prunes. The prune is just like an old raisin, right? Something. I don't know. I ate a bunch of prunes one time when I was a kid. And I was constipated for like a long time. Okay, sorry. Grapes. Okay. Yeah, they're old grapes. And... <laughs> And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant inside of good and for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden. And then the tree, the one that we know about, the one that we think about, the one that, that we really uh, have, have emphasized upon. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So when you think about the tree in the garden, right, all of a sudden, mind blown. You, you know about the tree in the garden, Right? Except there were two trees in the garden. The one tree, perfectly fine. The opposite of off limits, very own limits, right? This tree is called the tree of, of, of life. Uh, we talked. I talked about last week how how I think that predestination, which is a very big ten dollar Bible word, predestination of free will don't clash, they, they meet and correspond. Because ultimately I think God did have a, a big plan for things, right? But here in the garden, 
God introduced to us this thing called free will, right? God gave us the ability to make our own decisions, and we suck at making them. So from the rudimental standpoint, there was two decisions that we had to make every day. Eat from that one, don't eat from that one. Right? Oh man, like life is hard, man. Garden. Eat from that one, live forever. Eat from that one, no. Right? Like, I think, we think, oh man, I can live in that, right? Like, I, like, I could do that. But obviously, look at our, our, our first Adam. And what do we do? What do we do, guys? Like, you don't have to be some theologian to know this one. We ate the one that we weren't supposed to eat. Oh, the woman ate it. You ate it too. Stop blaming her. Be a man. I said there's not enough fathers. There's not enough father figures. Be a man. Stop blaming her. So in the garden were two trees. It's going to take us three trees to have eternity. It's going to take us now three trees. We had two trees. Literally just had to just eat from the one tree. But we got free will. Woohoo, free will. And we had from the one tree that we were told, don't eat from that tree. Now we need a, we need a third tree to come into the equation. Why was John 15 so important, guys? Why, would, why was John 15, the one thing that I've asked you guys is homework, why was it so important? It's the third stinking tree. The one that you needed for salvation, the one time I've ever asked you guys to do homework. Because we said, eat from this one, don't eat from this one. And you guys were like, oh, I wouldn't do that if I were them. You did it. You literally did it. I gave you guys the assignment, go, go and eat from this tree. Right? And what you guys do? Obviously, a million other things, but eat from that tree. Well, I didn't eat from the other tree. You might as well have, because you didn't eat from the one tree that God said eat from. God said, seek knowledge, seek wisdom. Seek it through Him, not on worldly understanding. So in 3 1. Everyone, now the serpent who is more crafty, Leviathan, uh, the serpent who is more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made, he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any fruit of any tree in the garden? Uh, guys, Genesis 2 17, that's exactly what he said. Yeah, but I don't know if it, that's exactly what he said. Literally, the one instruction. Don't eat that. Free will, right? Woo, free will. Been making bad decisions since a long time ago. So remember, now we're going to look at Revelation for a second. Oh, no. Oh, that's the crazy book. Revelation's 22. Three. I'm going to get there. Revelations 22, uh, 1 and 2. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Saw that in Genesis. Brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. 
And through the middle of the river, or through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life and its 12 kinds of fruit. Don't say apples. Yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were, the, were for the healing of the nations. How many, how many tribes? 12 tribes. How many disciples? What's there at the end? One tree. One tree. Why? Because the third tree was completion. We don't have the opportunity, we don't have the option anymore to go and deliver that things with our friends or our wives. Eve, yeah. bad decision. <coughs> Mark 15, and they compelled a passerby, Simon of, Sy of Siren, who was coming in from the country the father of Alexander and Rufus to carry his cross. The true vine, that's a metaphorical statement, right? How many, how many trees for life, guys? Three. So we need a physical representation for our metaphorical third tree. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, mountain skulls. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Anybody remember what the Magi brought way back? Frankincense, myrrh, remember those things? Each one represented a certain thing in his life, the life of Christ. What do we have here? But he did not take it. And they crucified him. What did a crucifixion require? A tree. Our, our metaphorical, our, our descriptive third tree met a physical death of a tree. Some people say, I say, oh, Caleb, you're just, you're extrapolating today. What, what, what's extrapolating? It's basically like, like guesstimating, right? Oh, you're just guesstimating. No. We very clearly laid out in Scripture how life was about three trees. It's not me taking something out of context. We showed you physical documentation and proof life was about three trees. It could have been about one tree. Right? That was predestination. God, God ultimately knew what was going to happen. By giving us free will, we required his son to be that third tree. Because of the third tree, how many, how many trees are left in the end? One tree. Because Jesus was our, he was our finality. Right? Everything that we ruined with free will, he completed with his life on the cross. We follow him in his trials. We follow him in his victories. We follow him in his life. We follow him in his death. And we follow him in his resurrection, which is new life. 
He doesn't have you follow blindly. He leads you step by step. Romans 8, 28. Write that one on your little sheet. Go look, look, go look at that one later. Not as some Hobby Lobby verse, but look at it in context of what we've looked at today. In following Jesus, there is new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Go and look at that one after we've looked at everything today. I've got one verse. I'm going to bring Jessica up here real quick. And he said to them, follow me. He said to him, one tree. Right? He said to him, one tree. No more options. Right? Literally, just do what I do. Death, where is your stick? He's already took it. We looked at it in weeks past. Take heart, for I've overcome the world. Right? The pain, the suffering, all that, it's gone. Because of Jesus. Because of Christ. Because of his life. He said to me, he said to them, read it as that, actually. I, I kind of said that in error, but and he said to me, so he said to you, said to each of us individually, follow me and I will make you. I used a timer. We stayed on task. We stayed on point, and we covered everything on that paper, guys. Because I'm not gonna lie, when we rolled in here, I get off topic sometimes. We stayed really, we stayed really true to what God laid on my heart for this. Jessica, you can come on over. I'm going to pray for us real quick. Don't just take this as some motivational speech. I told you guys, don't be lukewarm. Everybody worships in a different way. Maybe your, your worship is not jumping up and down and, and, and singing to the Lord. But whatever way that your worship is represented, I truly want you to worship on this last song. I truly want you to seek Christ. You know, I was looking at something before I came up here. And it, it just, I've seen, I've seen it a million times and it never, never made sense to me. Look right in the middle of that wall. Anybody see that big crack right in the middle of the wall? It goes from probably about three quarters of the way up to about halfway down. Individually, a lot of those, those bricks got broken. But the wall still stands. Individually in our lives, just think of each one of those bricks as a memory. Think of each one of those bricks as a lesson you've learned in your life. Individually, a bunch of them hurt. Right? Individually, a bunch of them caused a lot of damage. Individually, a lot of them caused a lot of pain. My family, guys, there's, a, there's way too much, within my own family, there's way too much religion and not enough relationship. There's way too many of them that, that won't they know what we're doing here. They, they know who I am. They know what we represent. And the, the, the calling that we're called for here at City Growth requires commitment. It requires you to actually seek Christ. It requires you to actually come and pour into other people. And there's a lot of my family, guys. There's a lot of the church 
that I grew up in, that, that it, the church that I grew up in as a kid, I don't know of a single actual community outreach that they've ever done. Ever. And a lot of my family wants that kind of church. Because it, it, it can become a ritual. I came on Wednesday, came on Sunday night even. I went on Wednesday night too, well, that's three times in a week. But there's no representation of Christ in their lives. So they know what we're doing here, and I've invited them a million times. So now we, we see them at our family functions and whatnot, and I can see them look at me like, hmm, go ahead and ask me. I'm not going to beg you to come to church. I'm not going to beg you to be the church. The people that we go out and we see in the community when we serve, they say, oh, man, I'm going to see you at church. And Jimmy and Heather have seen it straight up. What do I tell them? No, no you're not. And that's okay. That's okay. Because I'm still going to come be the hands and feet of Christ. And one day, one day, my hope is that you don't tell me you're coming, you just show up. So my hope, my prayer is that somebody in my family sees that, they, sees that, they see this and see, it's not that I don't want you to come, it's that I'm not going to beg you to do what you're called to do. That's on you. Somebody who is, considers themselves to be part of this church. Well, you didn't, I didn't come and you didn't call me and say, why didn't you come? Because I'm not going to beg you to do what you're supposed to do. Somebody that came and, well, if I would have done it, I would have done it this way. Then be the church and do it. Do you know why city growth exists? Because God told us to do it and we did it. I'm going to pray for us in justice and only us. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we just pray, Lord. We just invite you into this place, God. We just invite you into our hearts, God, that you lead us today, God, that you lead us to worship you, God, that it shouldn't require you to beg us, Lord, but we still hear that same still, small voice in our head that calls us closer to you, God. And no matter how far we run away from the cross, God, no matter how far we take our lives away from your cross, you always pursue us, God. We're always the one in the, in the crowd of 99, God. The shepherd always hangs out in the back for me and you, God. That he always hangs out in the back for the straggler, God. And that anybody in this room, if they're the straggler, know that he is still there and the cross is always one step away. And I just pray that we will worship you today, God. That we would leave this place and be the church and stop talking about the church, God. That we would leave this place and be your hands and feet, God. In your name we pray. Amen.